Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Anna Parkinson, and she has a book out now called Change Your Mind, Heal Your Body, and she also has a new book out about soup and sex. I forgot. I was already. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> that's a great intro, Gary, because, yeah, I do have a book that's, that's kind of about soup and sex, but it's actually, the title is Beyond Soup and Sex. It's, it's about how we, you know, we can't get away from the fact that that is what we need. We are, we are fundamentally programmed as, as physical human beings to need and to respond to our fundamentals. And um, actually, what we tend to do is we tend to put our spiritual adventures in a different pocket, as though they're not related to our physical life. Because I think for me, the germ of this book, which, which to give it its full title is Beyond Sex and Soup, Living a Spiritual Adventure. The germ came a long time ago when I was talking, I was teaching a class and I was talking to a young woman and she would, she said, well, you know, I'm really not sure about spirituality. I'm really not sure, you know, whether to go down that route or just live my normal life and not have anything to do with it because it might all be a con. And I found that really very interesting because um, I think it's a perfectly common point of view and it's a perfectly reasonable point of view. And most of our senses, our physical senses, are tuned into just living our lives. You know, just getting on with the soup and mm-hmm. the sex and and learning how to survive in our environment. And yet, as human beings, we've been having this quest for super physical consciousness in our lives, in every culture, in every generation. In, it, that's just who we are. It's not enough for us just to be physical. And um, so for me, I wanted to explain to this young woman, perhaps who could be called the seed of the book, that every physical experience you have is actually your spiritual experience. It's actually your spirit looking back at you. Right. And it's, it's a, recognizing that and engaging with it is a really powerful way not just of engaging with your own growth, but of, of, of enjoying it, of loving the journey, even if the journey feels bad at the time. 
That's interesting. You know, this morning I just put a post on Facebook, and it was a, a quote from the Tao Te Ching, and it was, uh, I'll read it to you. It says, Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it, but it is a, but it is a way of foolishness. Help them instead find the wonder and the marvel in ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in a touch of a hand. Make the ordinary come alive for them, and the extraordinary will take care of itself. That's beautiful, and absolutely what my experience has been. I, I, I only became a healer because I had to. I can't say like a lot of people do when they talk about spiritual experiences that, you know, it was there staring me in the face when I was 10 years old or whatever. I was busy getting on with my life and it was a good life. But when you get a little bit of distance from your experiences, the good ones and the bad ones, the good ones are pretty easy to understand straight away. Mm -hmm. The bad ones are not so easy to understand. But yet it seems to me that it's the bad experiences that actually are really channeling you into your unique adventure, your unique story that you need to go through. And for me, I had a dramatic illness uh, when I was... Um, I, I was, I, I had a good job. I was working as a BBC producer and, and I enjoyed loads of aspects of my job. It was fantastic, but it was also very frustrating. And I had got to the point where the frustrations were sort of outweighing the, the fun. Yeah. And of course it was very hard work. And, um, I was married, I had two small children and all of those things that, you know, we all try to kind of balance all these things with, 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 with oneself, with you, because whatever you do with other people in your environment, the person who is most important in your life is you. And in fact, the one aspect of your life that absolutely knows that is your body. Your body loves you. It doesn't care about anyone else in the universe because your body's survival depends on you, you being happy, your adventure. So often when you turn a corner or when you come to some big physical point that stops you in your tracks, um, it's, it's a way of engaging with yourself in a way that you wouldn't have done otherwise. It seems like a terminal problem. It seems impossible, but it's the very difficulty of it that makes you engage with yourself. So I, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. My first instinct was to get on with it and carry on with my life, a bit like the road runner, you know, you run, 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 mm -hmm. you just look down, you realize there's no road underneath you. Um, and if possible, just hand my body over to somebody else who would take care of it for me. So the medical profession would sort this out and I would be able to go on running. And everything I tried to do in that respect proved impossible. 
they, you know, first they said they were going to take the top of my head off and, you know, then they would get lift my brain out and then they would get the tumor underneath that way. And after they'd let me think about that for three months, then they said, actually, it wasn't possible. It's too deep. And in fact, nothing was possible. They weren't going to, uh, they weren't going to operate at all. They were just going to wait and see. So I, I wondered for a while what waiting and see meant, but uh, in retrospect, of course, I realized I was fantastically lucky because you don't really want to have anybody cut into your body if, if, if you can avoid it. Because your body is such a perfectly well-balanced, self-sustaining, integrated system already. And I was forced to look everywhere for some way out of this. And um, so I did everything. I tried everything. I tried acupuncture. I changed my diet. I um, went to every single healer you could imagine. And I knew nothing about healing. Nothing. It wasn't in my spectrum. And the one thing that I noticed is that whoever, whatever kind of healing someone was practicing, it had a physical effect on me. I noticed it. And I didn't necessarily understand it. It didn't necessarily even feel good. Because it was like, what is all this stuff? But how could it be that one person could have a physical effect on me without even, you know, touching me? And that kind of piqued my interest. And eventually, very, very cautiously, <laughs> I went to see um, an American healer called Martin Brofman, who's no longer with us on this planet. Um, and he gave me a healing. But what he did that no one else had done is that he told me what he'd seen in my energy. And he told it to me in a way that I recognized all this stuff that he had seen as my stuff. I hadn't thought it was important anymore. I didn't think, you know, my baby emotions really had any relevance in my adult life. But I did realize that if he could see it, it was still there. And that was so powerful for me. It was like, my conscious mind was taken to a place perfectly simply, perfectly logically, where it was looking my unconscious in the face. And I felt it as a really strong physical experience, which was a little bit like being Alice in Wonderland, you know? I was kind of looking down at my feet and they were my feet, but they seemed like a long way away. And I began instantly to recognize it in everything that I had done over the previous, oh, maybe five, six years. I'd been writing a book about an ancestor of mine who was a herbalist to Charles I, and he was um, on my father's side. He was called John Parkinson, and he was a very famous, in, in his day, herbalist. Mm -hmm. And he wrote two books about plants. And one was published in 1629, and my father had a copy of this book. And for some reason that I can't really explain, 
I borrowed this book from my father and I actually I borrowed it from my stepmother the day after my father died I said can I take this book home and I read it and I fell completely in love with this man who had this deep and cogent understanding of plants in a really balanced way that I had never come across. He knew how to, he knew who had given which plant to who, what it tasted like, what ailment it cured, how it grew. And it was, it was just a real passionate relationship with plants. And I started to write his story to find out about who he was and write his story. And when I had had this healing for the brain tumor, which was going on all the time I was writing this story, I was editing my manuscript. I finished it by that time. And I sat down and I looked at the manuscript the next day. And I saw that the first line of this book that I'd written was, I never lived with my father. And I had written that because I wanted to explain that this book was not something I really was very familiar with until I borrowed it and took it home. But I realized that actually what I'd been writing was the connection with my father, which was now broken because he was dead and I could never have that, or I thought that I could never have it. And my unconscious had just been propelling me through this journey. So what Martin Brushman helped me to see was the connection between my conscious mind that was thinking it was making decisions and deciding to do things and the guidance that was there in my unconscious that was really prompting me forward. And for me, that was like exactly the same picture that I had lived, but seen from the other side of the mirror. And it was just like walking through the looking glass. And I became so fascinated with it that I learned to heal. I, I learned from Martin how to heal in this way. I, um, and I worked on myself from this perspective. And I became, uh, I, I eventually, I, the, heal, the tumor disappeared without any surgery. And I wrote a book, which you mentioned, Change Your Mind, Heal Your Body, which was to explain to people how that healing process worked for me. And that was published seven years ago. And it's gone off into the world <laughs> because Everybody has the capacity to do what I did. Everybody has the capacity to heal themselves and to heal others, I believe, if they choose to use those aspects of themselves. Well, one thing that I noticed as I began to heal people and they began to teach me, because all the feedback that I received from the people that I was healing was teaching me leading me further on a journey. And one thing I began to notice was that um, this communication from your body starts very, very early. It's, it's there as like, if you like a small murmur, but your inclination is to disregard it and to, to soldier on, because that's very important for our survival, to battle on 
it's 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 where our physical senses are going. We're built like battleships, and we're very good at ignoring the inner vibration or the slight murmur, if you like. But the language of those that murmuring is emotional, really, really powerful. And you don't need to be physically ill to use what is often a very negative experience to reflect back at you, to help you to move further into your happiness, into your desire and your strength. And that's why I wrote Beyond Sex and Soup. That it's, yes, sex and soup is important. It will always be important, so long as you're a physical being. And it's not to be ignored because your physicality is a part of your spiritual experience. But you can use your physical experience and your emotional experience to really open up into your spiritual experience to gain strength and beauty and just be yourself. So how do we kind of, how do we do that? Like what are the steps to um, move into that direction? Well, one of the um, very profound insights of um, ancient people who lived a life that was far less distracted than the life that we lead uh, is was to listen to those vibrations to a degree to be able to make a map, if you like. And, and the one that is very well known now but would have been completely unknown a hundred years ago is the, the map of, of the chakras. Uh, it would have been completely unknown in the West or almost completely unknown, but that's very, very common now. But there are maps in every civilization, which are maps of energy. And um, the, one, the ones that I tend to use working with people and with bodies are the map of the chakra system and the map of the Hawaiian way of looking at the body, which seems to me to be very um, simple, but very, very profound. But what you find is that um, physical actions resonate with certain parts of the spine of the ganglia just um, like the the nexus of the nerves feeds into certain parts of the spine. So that's necessary because um, there are certain parts of the energy that runs along the spine that will feed, for example, the liver or the adrenals or your elimination system or your heart, whatever. Your body doesn't make a distinction between what is physical and what is non-physical. And that is the paradox of being human that we think I know that sounds very corny but our thought is unbelievably powerful it's like this channeled energy of the creative void and it infuses everything that we do even if we're not aware of it mm -hmm. So what we might call thought, we might also call emotion. We might also call feeling. In fact, feeling is much closer to this channeled energy of the void than 
thought is because it hasn't been edited and most people who have had some vast spiritual experience will tell you you can't really say what it is like you can try but you, putting it into words is is a very difficult thing to do but you can feel it you can feel this fantastic resonance and actually other people can feel it off you so while our physical senses are tuned from an early age from from before we're born into acquiring the necessary experience to ensure our survival and get us through the world they are also they have a parallel existence that is non-physical but just to use an example um when you look at um the needs of a baby they need um primarily they need security so that they can not be squashed human babies are very fragile objects and unlike animals we can't get on our feet and follow the herd we need massive protection not just in the womb but for you know for a long time after we come out of the womb so that primary need in order to enable us to grow is is security it's protection and um whereas the physical root chakra will be engaged with um that primary need so the need to grow a skeleton the need to breathe um the need to be able to put our own, to be able to walk to be able to put our own feet on the ground it is also connected with security with the need for safety and the need to be given that safety so your body doesn't make any distinction between those two it doesn't say uh okay um uh, i i have enough um i have enough to keep me safe my 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 roof is solid my shelter is is correct and and i will be safe here your body will be thinking um if if you don't have that sense of security when you're born or when you're in your mother's womb your body will still be expecting it to go if you don't connect with that emotion of feeling of lack of security you will have that anxiety all the time even if you've got masses of money your roof is secure you have a fantastic job all those things that we associate with security job money home your body will still be expecting them to go and you will get malfunctions over those aspects of your body that are associated with the root chakra on a, in a physical sense so you will might get a malfunction in your elimination system because that's all about giving stuff back to the earth and that's the very primary function of the root chakra or you might get a malfunction in your skeletal system or you might get a malfunction in your nose in your in in your ability to smell and that is your body's language that is your unconscious language which is speaking to you and saying excuse me we have a problem here we have a problem here but i am sending it to the conscious mind if you're listening to my language i'm sending it to the conscious mind 
because you actually have the power to sort this out. That was my experience in healing myself, that I would do targeted meditations that went back into things only my imagination could deliver to me. I had very little idea about, you know, my mother had told me something about the circumstances in which I was born. When my first child was born, she stood at the end of my bed and said, oh, this is what it was like for me, you know. Um, and just using my imagination, I let myself sit down and be that baby again, coming out of, of my mother's womb, emerging into um, emerging into the circumstances of the Singapore hospital where I was born. And um, I felt waves of her loneliness, of her isolation, of her vulnerability. My father wasn't there. She was alone in a room in a Chinese hospital. Nobody spoke her language. She'd been there 24 hours. And, and I didn't just feel that. I felt my reaction. So here I am, I'm emerging as a baby, and I'm saying, don't worry, mom, I'll look up. And there I was, you know, 45 odd years later, just imagining this experience. Now, I wouldn't say, if somebody said to me, no, it didn't happen like that, how do you know? I would say, that was my emotional truth. And that emotional truth explains why 45 years later, I am jumping to my mother's every demand. I am delivering everything she wants because I made that choice when I came out of her womb. So I am then, once that information is delivered to my conscious mind, I'm, I'm like my own mother. My conscious mind is like the mother to my unconscious. I'm able to say, hmm, I didn't know that that had happened. I didn't know that I'd made that choice, but I see that I had made that choice. And this is why the things that I experience are constantly happening to me in life. But you know what? I don't think that suits me very well. I'm going to make a different choice. I'm going to allow myself to cut off this life support system, which my mom doesn't really need anyway, and say no, because I choose to, and I need my freedom. And that's how you begin to, it sounds unkind, but it's not unkind, because what happens is our frustrated emotions create uh, all kinds of negative energy in ourselves. So I needed freedom. Obviously, I needed freedom. And an outsider would be able to say that to me, but I hadn't really quite understood for myself that I needed that freedom. And I hadn't allowed myself that freedom. So instead of taking my freedom, I was just angry. That was a very negative relationship to have with my mother. And it was the power of that anger that I needed to sort because I needed to take back the energy that was invested in anger because I needed to heal. I needed my energy. So that's just one very personal example of how my anger 
which was negative, delivered me the tools to which I explain in detail in Beyond Sex and Soup. They delivered me the tool to to go back in and change the way things were. And actually, the immediate benefit was for me. I felt different. I felt free, and and I did feel. Um, and I kept on doing this till I really did feel different. I kept on doing this what I call targeted meditation. And you know, after a couple of weeks, I had a phone call from my mother. She was traveling at the time, and um, the phone went, and I picked it up, and she said. I just want to say I'm, I'm really sorry for the way I've treated you in the past. And you could have, I could have collapsed. I was so surprised. My mother was a powerful and a wonderful woman, but she had never, ever said sorry to me in the past or to anyone else that I knew of. And it was the beginning of a really it wasn't always easy, but a really beautiful repair in our relationship, which was turned out to be, um, and you know, I would say this is coincidence, but of course it's not coincidence because it turned out to be that when I came to write Beyond Sex and Soup, where I wanted to explain how you, how you can use your negative feelings to really open up positivity in yourself and for your relationships <laughs> my worst nightmare I, th I had thought oh it's going to be simple writing this book I've been teaching the courses I know what to do I know how it works I know that it works I'll just simply write it so I was kind of I had begun and I was writing it and then as I was writing the world seemed to get bigger and bigger and the universe I was trying to grasp seemed to get larger and larger. And and then right in the middle of it, my mother fell ill. And if you had asked me, uh, you know, would you like to give up everything in your life and uh, look after your mother so that she can be um, happy and at home in the last days of her life, I cannot say that it would have been top of my list of priorities of what I wanted to do. But I knew that it was the right thing to do. I knew that she needed to leave her life in the place where she was, that she thought was the most beautiful place on earth, which was her home. And she was already 93, 94. And it was a, all through, I kept on writing the book, all through the experience of helping my mother to leave her life, because she had, and as I think I kind of explained, she had been very dependent on me. Even though she was a very independent woman, I was, I was what she was dependent on. And um, so without my expecting it to, this book, Beyond Sex and Soup, became about death in the middle of a pandemic when it is really about life and it's about allowing the fact that your living experiment will end 
to give beauty to your living life and power to your active energy. And there she is, she's in the book, which is, I may say, typical of my mother. <laughs> not not one who wants to be discarded or left aside. And she was a wonderful woman. Hmm. Um, so with the brain tumor part first, what was it that, like, like, was it you coming to terms with certain emotional issues that um, resulted in the healing? Yes, it is. It was that. Um, but I would say it's more, uh, yes. So when somebody comes to me with something that is a, a, um, that could potentially kill them, the first thing that I tell them to do is to not avoid it. Go look at what's happening in your body. Because your body is beautiful. It's created to be a wonderfully um, self-healing system, which is more powerful than we know. Although our conscious minds are very, very clever, our unconscious minds are cleverer. It's just that they reach into a zone which is pre-conscious and post-conscious, or if you like, they, they are connected to hyper-consciousness, which is not physical, in a way that is very difficult for us as physical beings to understand. So your body and the way it acts and reacts to, is, is, is a, um, like a sounding board of your spiritual experience. And the first thing that you need to do is you need to look at that area of your body that is not functioning and what it is that that part should be doing if it was functioning properly. So let's move forward to um, a, a difficult area, which is the time of, of breathing that has been very challenged for a lot of people by the effect of the virus. Um, we have, that, that, that is the area of your heart, it's the area of connection. And, and the, on, on a non-physical level, your heart is the area of communication. And although we have the best technology to be able to communicate with each other beyond physical spaces, in a physical sense, I can speak to you now when you're in New Jersey and I'm in Kent and we could be in the same room. In a non-physical sense, we, we tend to go down um, little squirrel lines of our own making so that we don't communicate with those people who we love or who, who we have loved or who love us, and there's less physical communication and more technical communication. So for many people, contemporary life is very lonely. Showing their heart is a very difficult thing to do. Showing your intellect is easy to do because it's accepted by the world. But showing your heart is a very difficult thing to do. And Opening up to your need for love and your need to show love is also very, very hard. And I would 
personally, I would say that is why the COVID virus has affected the breathing of so many people with such, such damaging effects. But if that, if there is something that relates to your own lungs or your own heart, you need to look at how you feel about your relationship. And there's a, um, another book that I think is, I, I, there's a beautiful phrase, the yogi phrase, which is to, to, to learn, read, to know, write, to master, teach. And the way in which we can all read and exchange and discover what other people have been thinking in multiple languages is, to me, part of the whole network that is bringing that explored her father's lung cancer. They looked exactly like the cells that destroy toxins in our body, macrophages. They look exactly like the cells of the immune system. And yet, in her father, they were creating tumors in his cell, in his, in his lungs that were preventing him from breathing. And this is now taking leave of science. This is my healer's perspective on the way um, toxic cells build up in our body. That, as I said at the beginning, your body doesn't make a distinction between what is physical and what is non-physical, because you are both. And when you have a non-physical, very powerful energy, when you have a feeling that is related to a particular part of your being, that is going to lodge in your being. And there's all kinds of experiments that show that, you know, when people, and it's in our language, people feel broken hearted or they feel cold hearted or we actually feel our emotions in a particular localized part of our body. And so if you feel fear, for example, and that is localized in a part of you that has to do with relationships, it's very difficult for a physical chemical, a macrophage, to destroy something that is not physical. Your body might send, might might note that there's a toxin in a certain part of your body and it might send um, its chemical to destroy that toxin. But the job of those macrophages is to, to destroy the toxin and die with it and to be eliminated from your body. So they're like soldiers going over the top, you know, do or die. Now, if you can't, if they can't do, if they can't destroy because this, this toxin is not physical, what are they going to do? What would a soldier do in those circumstances? Keep fighting until they find it. Keep, keep fighting until they find it. Yeah, and maybe send for reinforcements, maybe send for support, and maybe, maybe that is how a tumor builds up. Maybe it's the, it's the nugget of that emotion that you need to see, look for, 
and let go of. So that is how it was for me. So I, I looked at everything I could about this tumor, where it was, how it resonated with my, because it was in my crown, crown energy, it was to do with my relationship with my father. But my father was also how I learned to relate to authority of any kind. And that was, that could be teachers, it could be doctors, it could be bosses. And both of those things are the cipher for the ultimate authority, which is the unknowable, powerful, creative energy that put me here in the first place. And so your crown chakra is about your relationship with um, the ultimate energy, but you know it, you learn to know it through your relationship with your physical, biological dad. Even if you actually don't know your dad very well, that relationship with your dad is, is whether you will determine whether you feel open to learning or you have to fight through and, and, and get more connected. And I needed to explore that. I need, and, and the, the, the person in me who knew that was not my clever, adult, sophisticated self. It was my baby self, my, my deep emotional self. So I needed to allow myself to use that imagination tool, which is something that I describe how to do in Beyond Sex and Soup, to go into that story and gradually that sense of division from my father, which had hurt me really badly, began to open up into a realization that there was a deep emotional understanding that I had just blocked off because he wasn't physically there. And at the same time, and I would do this quite frequently, but every day I would sit down and I would look at the, in my imagination again, at the physical tumor in my body, and I would allow it to show me, to tell me, what I needed to know. And I would ask it to, having told me this story, to leave my body. And eventually, what had been like a sort of full, round, inflated ball, eventually, it just took a long time, I can tell you. It When I went for a scan at the hospital, I noticed that there was like a wavy line on the top. I think I'd been doing this for about a year. And um, when they showed me the results of the scan, there was this kind of wavy line. And I came back and I was just jubilant. And my family who knew what I'd been doing, my daughter said, oh, has it gone? And I said, no, no, it hasn't gone, but there's a wavy line on the top. And she thought I was crazy. <laughs> she, <laughs> but, but I knew that that meant that it was going. And the next, and it was like um, a sail that had been full of wind and it had collapsed inward. And I just kept on and kept on and kept on. And eventually I stopped going for scans. And then about three years later, I asked them if they would scan me again. And all they could find was like something like the tiny end of a, you know, of your little fingernail. 
and I didn't have any symptoms and I had no problems and and I felt you know who knows it could something could come back and hit me tomorrow but that story was gone it was done it's incredible it set me on a whole new path that's amazing um do you think that there's any connection with the healing that you experienced in what they call the placebo effect? Well, I I would not um, I would not disrespect the placebo effect because when mm -hmm. I try to explain healing to people, I say that it's like we're like a we like a three layered cake. Think of yourself as a three layered cake, and then the bottom layer is your physical body, which responds to physical things. So it responds to food, it responds to medicine, it responds to your environment and, and all of those things. And they're all really important. But the next layer, the one above that, is your mental body, if you like. And that is fueled by your emotion and your experience and your memory and your thought. And truthfully, it is the real you. So whatever I see when I look at somebody um, in a physical sense is not that person. The person is invisible. The person is their thoughts, their memories, their desires, their feelings, their, um, their wishes. And that's the middle layer of the being. And this middle layer is more powerful than the physical layer. So whatever you wish or choose to see has a really more powerful effect on you, on your physical being, than, um, than what somebody else might gain from the same physical input. See what I'm saying? So, so two people could go on a diet. It could be exactly the same diet, but they would react differently because they are different people. And this middle layer, when I'm working as a healer, I'm working with the middle layer. I'm working with the invisible. And the invisible is visible as energy to a healer. And everybody has the power to see this invisible energy, I believe. I'm just I've been doing this for 15 years and I've just become very accustomed to it. Um, and I can then interpret that as to, as in, in a form that makes it, makes your conscious mind aware of it. But the top, there is also a top layer to this cake, the three layered cake, remember? And that is the layer that is beyond us, I believe. It's like one of the, well, I'll just say that, 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 call it the icing on the cake. It's the layer that determines where you're born, who you're born to, when you're born, what your experience in life will be when you die. And you can't, you can't control that layer. You don't, but you can communicate with it. You can learn to communicate with it. And if you like, it's your consciousness of the experiences that on, on your middle layer, it's your consciousness of the experiences that you are having in a physical sense, which are leading you to communicate with the icing on the cake, with the top layer, which people call God, which people call the divine, which people call the formless void. 
and and of course we are all going to interpret it in a different way but that's that's my experience interesting i i think though you know i know for me personally you know it's soon for a lot of people um identifying <clears throat> the root cause of these problems um or health issues is not obvious to everybody like it was for you. I know it wouldn't be to me. <laughs> well, it wasn't obvious. I was I was helped. I was taught. I was guided along a map. Um, absolutely, it wasn't obvious because we do take our bodies for granted. But like I say, that that first healing or that healing experience that made such a difference to me was like walking through a mirror. So it's like, yes, I was still having a physical experience. And I continue to have a physical experience. I need my senses to tell me if the chair I'm about to sit on is solid. Or, you know, if I'm going to hit my head, I don't know if you can see, but I live in this very ancient house and there are places where the beams are very low. And, you know, I need all of my physical senses to tell me that. But as I was going through the spiritual, uh, sorry, the, 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 the experience of healing my body, I kept on coming across this paradox. Everything was a paradox. That I am physical, but I am not physical. Or um, my physical body is doing these things, but my emotional body is more powerful than my physical body and yet if my physical body wasn't doing this to me then my emotional body would not be engaged and and it's actually because of this of of finding a path which is like walking a knife edge through a paradox that i wrote beyond sex and food i really wanted to guide people and how to walk that edge between being completely in a non-physical spiritual world that feels wonderful while actually feeling like your actual physical life is rubbish. No, your physical life is beautiful. And it's an amazing opportunity and experience. And it's the difficulty of it. It's appreciating it from the other side of the mirror, if you like, from the paradox effect that will help you see what an amazing opportunity you have to use your physical energy, whether that's mental or, or, or actually your physical body and your creative energy. Hmm. It makes sense to me. Um, Good. <laughs> <laughs> but it also sounds difficult to, you know, um, it, it's hard you know, sometimes life life just is such a pain, and um, you know, there's so much suffering. Like, I think sometimes it's natural though for people to kind of extreme to seek those extraordinary experiences to get out. Yes, I I I agree, but it's a little bit like you know, um, drinking whiskey to make your pain go away. It doesn't make the pain go away. For a little while, it does. It feel, 
feels nice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For a little while, it feels great. Um, and that's the thing. You know, what really struck me when I was having all these experiences of, of firstly trying to save my life and then helping other people to, in, in many cases, save their lives, is that... Um, the more you turn away from your pain, the bigger it grows. And um, although we like to get away from it, because that is really a comfortable thing to do, um, it, it, the actual thing we're getting away from seems to grow like a shadow behind us. And the best way to free yourself from the burden of that pain is to turn around and face it. So although it seems very complicated, I believe that your body will not deliver you anything that you're not ready to deal with. You can deal with it. And I wanted, in Beyond Sex and Soup, I wanted to show how people have dealt with it and also to give people a map to say, okay, whatever it is, whatever it is, this is something that you can do for yourself. So it's not like you do it once and it's gone, it's finished, no more pain forever. That would be really nice. But even when you think about people that you love, I mean, I, I have to think of my children and I have to think, well, I don't want my children to suffer any pain ever. And yet I know that they will never learn anything that is useful for themselves as individual human beings if they don't learn to walk through their pain. And the best thing I can do for them is show them, if they're listening, show them a way that they can get through. And the pain will go. I don't know if you ever had that experience, but I used to do this when I was a kid. I used to... Um, I used to somehow think there was something under my bed. <laughs> like I would walk into my mm. room, go to sleep at night, and I would think suddenly I would feel like there was something hiding in that darkness under my bed. And I would have to sort of jump into the bed from, from a distance so that the thing that was under the bed didn't grab me by my ankle. And then I would kind of lie on my bed and eventually I would get the courage to look underneath my bed and there'd be nothing there. And that was fine, then I could go to sleep. And it's this thing of facing your pain or facing your fear, looking it in the face is the only thing that sends it away. And you as a human being have phenomenal courage and creativity, but those shadows that we all carry around tend to diminish our freedom and our courage to use our creativity. And that was my, that was what I was learning. And that's why I, I say it's beyond sex and soup. You live it through sex and soup, but actually you are beyond that. You are more than that. Mm -hmm. And you can guide yourself through living this experience and you'll live it better. So would this be 
How about the, the opposite approach? Like, say, you know, seeking out as much pain and suffering as possible we can just to get it over with. Or to, like, like knowing that it's going to make what? me a stronger person. So it's like that person that like runs into a fire. I think the Buddha did that, didn't he? He is reputed to have done that. To God, and I'm, I mean, I think that that's, um, although I think it's a misinterpretation, <clears throat> personally I do, that that strain of ascetic behavior where you don't eat and um, you don't have sex and you don't wrap yourself up when it's cold, you know, you allow yourself to experience extreme cold or extreme heat. It is <clears throat> a very common spiritual experience, and and it's a very common spiritual practice. So the North American Indians practiced it, the Hindus practice it, the um, monks, Christian monks, you know, used to flagellate and practice seeking pain. Um, and uh, certainly all, all mystical groups have put themselves through this process so that they can rise above physical pain. So walking on fire uh, is, is an example where you can walk over hot coals and not be um, blistered or bruised by, by that experience. There's no physical experience for your feet when you touch that heat. To me, this is a wonderful thing to do, but very few people can actually live like that. We die for start, so you wouldn't be living. <laughs> um, so it's not a common experience. It's a demonstration that you are more than your physical body. And it's a demonstration of what I was just calling the, the second layer in the cake. You know, that when your mind is fully engaged with your spiritual being or your non-physical being, it can overcome your physical senses. Mm -hmm. So just like we're completely happy with the idea that we have physical senses, those physical senses are there to keep us safe in our physical environment. But we also have internal senses, which are non-physical. We call them clairvision, clairaudience. Um, but we, they're, they're there. They accompany every sense in a non-physical way because we are also non-physical beings. And if you just, if you can control your inner experience to the ex to to enough sure you can put yourself in the way of danger you can walk over coals run into fire and not get burned but like i say you can't really live like that because those are occasional experiences to demonstrate to you the magnificence of your being they're not day-to-day -day experience mm -hmm. So, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about, you know, escapism through, you know, trying to get out of the body, you know, um, running into pain to try to go that way. How about extreme pleasure 
Like like complete complete overindulgence in the physical world. You know, extreme pleasure is is also wonderful. One of the reasons that um, I wanted. So as I work through the implications of the different chakras, mm-hmm. when we move up from the root chakra, we have the sacral chakra, and the sacral chakra dominates your sexuality, your appetite for food and sex. Without which, you would be dead. Uh, and as a species, we would die. It's, it's like a super, super powerful energy that ensures the survival of ourselves as an animal species. And it is also a really powerful, it is the, the, the pleasure place. It's a really powerful source of physical energy, but it's a really powerful sense of connection with our physical selves. Many spiritual traditions will accept um, eating, albeit restricted eating very often, but they won't accept sex, even though as a species we need sex to survive. And as individuals, it's an intensely, it should be, can be an intensely powerful, pleasurable experience. But the trouble is that because it's avoided by most spiritual traditions, it ends up being more abused than um, understood. So, you know, there are legions of stories about um, people who felt they were getting spiritual instruction from somebody and then suddenly this person wanted to have sex with them and the whole of the spiritual in- instructions seemed to disappear. And, you know, they just felt used and abused. Yeah. And, and obviously, when something is a rule, apparently, but it's broken, then all of the teaching just crumbles down with it. And the abuse of sex causes more pain in the world than almost anything else because it has such a long um, a long reach. People experience it for so much longer afterwards. So as a society, we're not very good at understanding sex. It's such a strong urge in individuals that we've tended to want to suppress it or want to control it. But there you see there is what I regard as another paradox. The pleasure of an individual is different from the success of society because society has rules that it likes us to conform to because that makes us easy to manage. But our individual desire may not go that way. But in spite of that, you come a full circle because society is ourselves. It's the collective of ourselves. So we, as individuals, have to understand what makes us happy, what we need. Extreme pleasure may be it, but we also have to understand that we are a fractional part of a collective, and if our extreme individual pleasure harms the collective, then we will get the collective pressure Work the energy of the collective will work against us, will work to oppress us. Mm-hmm. It's a very narrow balance. 
But if you can find extreme pleasure that doesn't harm anybody else, it doesn't hurt anybody else, go for it. Hmm. Enjoy it. Can we combine all three methods together? Extreme pleasure, pleasure, extreme pain, and and like out of body type of situations. I'm sure that there are people I have never done myself, but I'm sure that there are people who find that way. The only trouble about extreme pain is this thing: does it cause pain to anybody else? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If it if 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 it doesn't cause pain to anybody else, then. Uh, yes, perhaps those three methods can be can be combined together. But do you really want to stay out of body? That's the only. Well, I think the, I think I would want to go. Experience. I would want to go out of body in order to be able to see myself from a broader perspective to identify some of the things that need to be changed, so I can make those adjustments and not be stuck in the same karmatic cycle. Well, I think you've just described healing. I did. (laughs) When I do a healing with someone, it it happens in a space where physical time and um, physical geography don't don't matter. They don't exist. So obviously during lockdown, and before, um, they, people will just appear needing healing. And if somebody needs something, I, I don't say no. And it's kind of like you tune into a space where something is connecting you, just like uh, a radio signal connects to very distant voices. Um, something is connecting you to somebody who you know nothing about except perhaps their name and what they need to have healed and um, it shows you energy that you because you are uh, a physical being can change, can see in a different way so the person will feel uh, different in their body but more importantly they will see themselves and what they've been experiencing in a different way. So they will see themselves as those seen by something that is out of body, but still be in charge of it, still be the person who can be the mother to their childhood selves, if you like, the mother, the conscious mind to their unconscious selves, and talk to it help it, give it what it wants, let it be happy, let it be joyful, and let it express itself. Hmm. So for me, the place where we experience pleasure as a physical experience in our bodies is like the sap of a plant. It's like nobody ever asked a these are both very English plants, a primrose and a bluebell, they're, they're the plants that grow. But nobody ever asked a rose to look like it was a lily. You appreciate it just for being a lily, uh, or just for being a rose. And there's all that energy that is growing up from the root, through the body of the, the rose, 
just so it can have this amazing bloom and give off scent and attract other beings to its presence. And that's the point of its being, to attract other beings to its presence, because then it can pollinate and it can continue to exist. And for me, this area, this sacral chakra, where we digest our food and where we experience sexual pleasure and where we generate the new generation, is, um, is like the sap that goes through the branches of that road. And you as an individual are using this energy in order to express who you are, what you're about, to let the world see, you know, and smell your scent, let the world see your beauty and smell your scent. And all those painful experiences that you've mentioned are ways of kind of guiding you. They may feel horrible, but they're ways of guiding you onto what is truly your path and and the way in which you can express what really matters to you if you're completely out of touch with your your physical sensitivity your sense of joy and and pleasure you're not going to really know what's right for you it's not going to be your individual pleasure it's not going to make you happy and your happiness is your strength So you need to pay attention to your own joy mm. and sometimes the lack of it. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, it is a combination of all these things that, from what I'm hearing, you know, it's, yeah. it's looking at the things that are not giving us pleasure and harming us and it's on an emotional level and it manifests in a physical way. Um, Suppressing the things that give us pleasure and not not recognizing them also will have negative effects on us. And if we don't take time to step out of ourselves and actually look at the big picture, too, um, no healing is going to happen. So all these things are required. I think so. I think one of the things that inspired me when I was writing the, the book Beyond Sex and Soup was I I found this quote from a newspaper in 2019 sorry in 1919 <laughs> and it was it was the London Times and it, it was just a little piece and it was talking about how Einstein's theory of relativity had been proved by some British scientists um, and uh, actually, the, the journalist was writing, the editor was writing, he was saying, well, you know, um, this means that a straight line is not a straight line and um, space is curved and don't worry, he said, you know, we will still go on measuring our fields in the same way and we will still go on um, uh, experiencing our lives in the same way and and but he said everything is changed by this theory so here we are you know over a hundred years later and everything is changed by that theory 
in the sense that we now have technology which has only been made possible by things that they didn't even perceive a hundred years ago. And yet, as physical beings, as human beings, nothing has changed. We still need to be able to measure from one corner of our room to another and, and, and conceive that as a, as a straight line. We still need to be able to sit on a chair and conceive that as solid. And so actually the experience that we're having as human beings is between two theories, if you like, theories of, of physical existence, which are incompatible and are still incompatible. Nobody understands how we can be dancing electrons and at the same time solid physical beings. And so to me, we, we as human beings, the thing that humanity does is integrate these, these, if you like, impossible opposites. That is our experience. That is our spiritual experience. We have the ability to do that in a way that, um, that other consciousnesses don't. So plants don't do that, as far as we know. They are much more focused in their purpose and their growth. Uh, animals don't do that, as far as we know. Again, they are much more focused in their purpose and their growth. And we, we tend to um, lose sight of our physical purpose and our physical growth because our minds are busy dancing with angels, if you like. I think that's wonderful, but we have to do both. We can't just go off to the angels and suffer in our physical being because that inhibits us from making the most of this wonderful physical life. Hmm. And it's not easy. I don't, I don't, I don't say that it's easy, but it's one of the things that happens to people who are suffering is very often this kind of instant stubbornness kicks in. It's like a kind of a sub voice. I think I explained to you that um, I started to write my first book that I really wanted to write. It was going really well. And two weeks after I started to write it, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And almost the first voice that kicked in, some subliminal voice, said to me, I'm damn well going to finish this book. If I'm going to go blind or die, I'm damn well going to finish this book first. And it's kind of like the stubbornness that we have to persist, to persevere when really difficult things happen to us is a beautiful quality. And we, we strengthen it by by looking at our fear rather than or our pain rather than running away from it yeah totally makes sense um so before we wrap this up thank you for being on and um where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your books so um my website uh the book you, Beyond Sex and Soup, you can, it's published by O Books, but it's available um, from any bookshop now, Barnes and Noble or anywhere that sells books. 
Um, and it's also available on Amazon. Um, I would love to hear feedback from your listeners. If people buy it and read it, please. Uh, it's really interesting to read reviews. Um, so please send a review. I lost you temporarily. Yep, we're back. I don't though. know how much of that you heard. You might as well just start it over again. Okay. <laughs> so Beyond Sex and Soup is published by O Books, and you can get it from any bookshop now. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon will also deliver it. It's great if you do get the book. It will be fantastic for you to review it because um, it's great to hear what people think really helpful um, and otherwise you can contact me uh, you can have a look at my website which has a lot of guided meditations on it and that's Anna Parkinson.com Anna Parkinson.com just one word or you can email me Anna at Anna Parkinson.com awesome well, I will put the links to your website to your books and your email on in those just episodes so my listeners can check you out and um if they buy your book on amazon like definitely you know gotta leave reviews because everybody reads the reviews that's how everybody buys a book now <laughs> i always read the reviews it's kind of like this kind of human human see is what makes things work not not what seems to make it work it's what people think really yeah so that's really nice Absolutely. And I've just really enjoyed talking to you, Gary, and I'd love to um, I'd love to share your podcast with people who follow me. Awesome. Yeah, I'll send you the links to it when it's out. That's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on, and I'll put those links in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you and buy your book and leave you some reviews and give you some feedback. And it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Gary. Thank you. You're welcome. Hang on for one second. I just have to play the outro. Okay. <laughs>